Hello, and welcome to Evander Bros, your weekly podcast for biblical literacy, discipleship, and historical-slash-cultural context. I'm your host, George Benson, uh, and I just want to do a couple housekeeping things really quick. Number one, um, I realized we did not have an episode last week. I probably could or should have put something up, uh, but the truth is I'm in the middle of some pretty serious crap right now. Uh, there's a lot going on. And um, my attention, at least for last week, this week, and maybe next week, needs to be somewhere else. While Don and I absolutely love your listenership and the questions and just how great our, our audience is, um, there's just uh, there's a lot going on right now. And unfortunately, um, there's not going to be another new episode this week either. Uh, but instead, what we're doing is re-releasing an older one. Um, we've got a nice backlog of episodes, and every now and again, we'll, you know, when we find ourselves in this situation, uh, we'll we'll release one of them. So, without further ado, here is a simpler time, a time when Don wasn't on sabbatical, and. I may or may not have prepared for the episode, <laughs> but uh, yeah, either way, I uh, just wanted to kind of let you all know what's going on because we've had a jump in our listenership and I do apologize that if you just started listening, that this is when you started, um, you know, so, uh, so yeah, thanks. Have a great week, everyone. And I think when we, we get to salvation, all of that evaporates. There is not a physicalness to our discussion of salvation. Hello, and welcome to Evangel Bros, your weekly podcast about biblical literacy, discipleship, and historical slash cultural context. I'm your co-host, George Benson. I'm your other co-host, Don Shiver. And uh, Don, today we're actually at your request. Um, so you sent me a text the night before we recorded this saying, hey, what do you think about skipping the Torah portions this week? Yes. So uh, let's let's talk about that. What do you want to dive into? Uh, well, I've been concerned about your soul, George. Oh, you and a few others. And Go so ahead. I wanted to talk to you today about salvation. Really? Yes, I wanted, I was going to, I figured we could do the podcast altar call. Um, we could have a quick couple conversions, increase our listener base. Yeah. Uh, you know, all the, all the good things that salvation brings with it. Maybe we can get a couple holy rollers and pick up some change. Oh, yeah, no doubt. My uh, one of my favorite stories of from my father in law. Uh, he grew up in a, a Pentecostal church. They would have holy rollers, and he would go pick up the change afterwards. I actually don't wait. There was actually something like I didn't know that that was there was actually something called a holy roller. People would roll down the aisle on the way to an altar call. Are you serious? I'm I'm dead serious. Wow i I had no idea that like I just thought that was something that people called like 
like, you know, more churches like mine, the frozen chosen type churches called people that were too physically active. They called them holy rollers. I had no idea that there were people that act. Wow. All right. I'm done, George. We're good. Okay. I, I think well, you're saved. Uh, uh, so. This has been another episode of Avenger Rose. I've been your coach. <laughs> wow. Okay. Yeah. My mind is blown. Thank you. Oh, my pleasure. Um, okay, so uh, what specifically do you want to get into about salvation? I know that this is a pretty um, hot button issue, uh, especially within the evangelical church. Uh, and, you know. Well, I think there's a handful of things, right? Like, because I think that, you know, people that have moved out of like their mom and dad's faith, uh, whether the end, the more conservative, church or even mainline church where salvation isn't really talked about as much. It feels uncomfortable, you know, whether it's talking about, you know, getting people saved. Are you saved? I mean, the last time someone asked me if I was saved, you know, the setting, I mean, you immediately, when someone asks you a question like that, you kind of have insight into uh, a lot of their theological deference uh, and, so it's just an interesting thing to me. And the more that I've you know, been a pastor in a church that though I don't, I wouldn't personally use the label progressive, but many people outside of our community or even maybe people that attend our church would, there's, you know, there's a diminishing of biblical literacy um, because the Bible is viewed as almost an opponent towards the lovingness of God. Uh, which I disagree with, and I think our podcast demonstrates regularly that uh, we find that biblical literacy uh, needs to be embraced by uh, people who have a more progressive view of God and faith and how that the Bible actually reinforces that. But then in addition to that, we've really lost some of the language of salvation. Uh, and I think it's because there's kind of a fear piece that goes to it to talk about salvation. A lot of people that identify as more liberal or more progressive in their faith tend to lean more towards like a universalism, lean more towards, you know, everyone's in or, you know, that's for God to decide. And so we don't really have many discussions around salvation. I mean, would you agree? Is that kind of, I mean, does that sound sound right? Does that seem right? That's just been my experience. And I, I guess I'm assuming or presuming that that's others experience as well. Yeah, I would, I would agree. Um, I think that, so it's like a word we stay away from. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that that's why when love wins came out, it was such a polarizing conversation. Um, because for once, uh, for our audience, you might want to explain that. Oh yeah. So, uh, 2001 or 2011, Rebel wrote a book called Love Wins, and it was about reexamining our theology around hell. Uh, and it blew up the evangelical church. And it became such a polarizing conversation, even before the book was released, about condemning the book and everything else, um, because we don't know how to have healthy conversations around the concept of salvation or what that actually means. Because, I mean, a lot of churches use it as a power grab. I mean, right. I, I'm, you know, not to diminish um, the church, but it's just like, I'm selling you a product as a pastor, you know, this fire insurance, because we're going to talk about hell uh, and you need this and now you are saved. 
And because right. we have no understanding of biblical literacy, we pervert that into the uh, Great Commission that we are yeah. now supposed to send everybody out so we can save you from this theoretical thing because we don't know what happens when we die, but we use the language saying that the Bible is 100% inspired, therefore everything is literal. And I'm, I'm just speaking in broad strokes. Um, and then we pervert what we think the gospel to be as the same thing of, Hey, you need to be, I need to save you from yourself. Let me explain to you why you are the way that you are. Right. Well, and this goes back to many things that we discuss here is that we often take the things of scripture and strip them of their physicality, their, their nowness, their present uh and turn it into a future turn it into just spiritual or theoretical ascent as opposed to the idea of what did it mean or what does it still mean today like if you and i were to talk about what does it mean to experience salvation we would probably only speak of it in terms of spiritual Right. We would only speak of it in terms of some, you know, spiritual ascent or yeah. connectedness to a doctrine or a theology, but we really wouldn't necessarily uh, connect it to the physicalness of everyday life. So I just feel like we've lost the physicalness of it, like the, the tangible piece of salvation. Right. Uh, in fact, most of our faith, most of our expression of faith lacks a tangibleness uh i don't know if that's a real word but the tangible part of it yeah and i think one of the things that we've attempted to do in this podcast and just in conversations we've had in our communities is that there's something that is meant to be extraordinarily physical and real touchable something you can interact with that uh exists and i think when we we get to salvation all of that evaporates. There is not a physicalness to our discussion of salvation. So, yeah. Um, so, George, um, how familiar are you with uh, Philippians two twelve? Not as familiar as I used to be. Well, I, I'd love for you to read it in your favorite translation. Uh, okay. And uh, and. That's kind of where I, where I want to begin our conversation. So I know we're breaking protocol on Evangel Bros by going to the epistles uh, to build our discussion around. But I yeah. don't worry, we won't stay there long if anyone's worried about that. Uh, <laughs> so let's look at Philippians 2.12. So, so what, is your, what version are you reading and what does it say? Uh, this, so this is from the Apostolic Polyglot. Okay. That's not going to be helpful. <laughs> Darn it. George, okay. you're killing me. <laughs> well, just call me Smalls then. Um, right, Smalls. Okay. What because we're on? actually going to lean on the Apostolic Polyglot, which is, I highly recommend, we've recommended this tool before. Um, definitely check it out. You can go to apostolicbible.com, I believe it is, and order a copy. Small publisher. So I highly recommend checking it out. It's an interlinear Greek and English uh, New Testament, as well as an interlinear, interlinear Greek and English Septuagint. 
and in a moment when we start talking about the Septuagint, I think it's going to become clear why I wanted George not to read <laughs> from the polyglot initially. So, okay. Um, so this most is- of our listeners are not li- reading from an interlinear translation of the New Testament. That is fair. Okay. So this is from the uh, NIV, the New International Version. Okay. Therefore, my dear friends, as ye have always obeyed, not all, or not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. So this this is a verse that you often hear, uh, whether it's based on Kierkegaard's book *Fear and Trembling*, or it's this idea of you know working out our salvation in fear and trembling, and so. Um, so I think the the place that I kind of want to start with this, George, is, you know, what what has that passage either meant to you in the past, or if that not that specific passage, this idea of working out your salvation? What what have you been taught about that? What have you been brought up to think about that idea? Well, I have been taught and have taught that uh, we should be so afraid of whether or not we're correct in our. Uh, and our theology that salvation should like this, this idea that uh, if we're not worried about whether or not we're saved air quote saved. Yeah. Then there's something wrong. Yeah. Like so, it was, it, it was a, it was a fear mongering clobber passage. Sure. Of course. Yeah. I mean, that's, well, you throw that fear and trembling in there and you know, Paul is witnessing is a witness to a, a Gentile church, it seems. Uh, and so, yeah, of course. So George, uh, can you think of or guess where the first place we find this phrase, fear and trembling in scripture? Any ideas? Uh, Exodus? Earlier than that. So go Genesis. ahead. Genesis. Yes. Yeah. Oh, very good. Hey, nailed it. Yeah. So do you know where, can you, any guesses? And, and I realized that, you know, when, and for our listeners, when I put George on the spot like this, it, it's really not fair. And he's really being a kind soul and kind of playing along uh, with this and allowing me to do this to him because most people wouldn't be able to answer this question. And so he's being a kind soul and putting himself out there. Uh, on this. So, so George, any guesses where you think this might be? So I, can I ask a question before I answer? Of course. Okay. Would I find fear and trembling in a modern um, translation or would it have been in the... Good question. So it would say most likely something along the idea of fear and dread. Fear and dread. Okay. Um, I'm going to say... when Abraham falls into a deep sleep. So you are correct. It does mention it there, but that's not the earliest mention. Oh, damn. But it's still, it's still great. Well, the word, <laughs> the weird word there, fear is used, but not the word for trembling. Okay. Um, so the first more. place that both of those words are used. Okay. One more guess then. Um, okay. I'm going to say. Because you're right. A deep dread falls over a darkness and a deep dread falls over abraham how about so you know it's earlier than genesis 15 yeah uh when cain is 
uh, standing before God after killing Abel? Great guess. It is in between there. It's actually Genesis 9. Okay. And it's when the ark is, you know, the flood is post-flood, and God says, now you will have dominion over the animals, and they will have fear and dread of you. Oh, okay. So the first place we read this fear and dread, and I think it's really important for us to kind of look at that and think about what that means in that context for us to kind of get an idea of what Paul probably meant by this. So like when we talk about fear and dread of animals over us, like what what do you imagine is the fear and dread that animals or the fear and trembling animals have towards us? Are they, are they think, do they think we're puppy kickers? right? Is that what we are? Are we puppy kickers? What are we? Like what makes them have fear and trembling over us? Um, under us or by us? I don't know. I've never, well, I'm, I've never thought about that before. I mean, yeah, I have, I, the knowledge of the unknown. Okay. You know, people, so, people are friends tend to fear what they're not familiar with or is not like them. Okay. Because earlier in the scriptures, when we're given dominion over them, there's no fear and trembling mentioned, right? But now fear and trembling is mentioned uh, as something that is shifted in the relationship between humans and animals. Um, and part of that, you know, could be pointed to that it says, and all the animals are given to you for food, right? That would that could yeah. create some fear and trembling. But I doubt that polar bears are afraid of us. Right? I don't think we strike the fear of God in, uh, you know, a, uh, a pride of lions. Yeah. Right. So, so what do you imagine maybe that that could mean? I have no idea. I, I no clue. So what I would say is who brought about the flood? Humanity. That almost wiped everything out. Humanity. Humanity. Right. Yeah. And so from this point forward, the animals have to be afraid that the decisions that humanity makes will wipe them out. This seems oddly relevant. Yeah, right. So like this picture of for us right now is as you know, climate change, whether you think that is caused by humans or just happenstance. Uh, but as we build homes in areas, as we desire, you know, McDonald's cheeseburgers, which, you know, I don't know if all of our listeners know this or not, but the number one destroyer of rainforest is cattle farming in uh, rainforest areas. And so our desire to have fast food or hamburgers is the number one destroyer of the habitat for creatures that live only in the rainforest. And so we the world and the creatures that live within it are at the hands and the mercy of humanity's own greed and mercy and generosity. And so they must live in fear and trembling as exampled by the flood. Does that, does that seem plausible uh, explanation or picture for you? Yes, it does. So then what do you think it means when it says work out your salvation in fear and trembling, you know, in the way that animals experience humanity, how do we then work out our salvation in that same place? That well, doesn't feel 1980s plastic plant on the podium, uh, dirty evangelical church. 
Well, so no oh boy. Okay. <laughs> My first question to that would be, what do you mean when you say salvation? Because I think that 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 gets at the heart of how that would then be worked out within the fear and trembling. So like, are we still working within the framework of this thing that happens after you die? I'm going to let that to you at the moment. Okay. And, and primarily, again, this is where, you know, you get to play the, the um, you know, the poor un, unwittingly participant in this because, <laughs> because I think it's really helpful for the people listening to go through this step by step instead of jumping steps. Yeah. So, okay. So if we're talking about fear and trembling in the same way that animals are to in the same way that the animals were fearful and trembled, then our actions have an equal and opposite reaction to whatever's happening around us. Okay. Um, and so therefore I should be worried about the environment that I am in. Okay. I should be worried about, okay, well, if I'm working out this salvation, what, what around me can be impacting that? Okay. Now, remember, in that first passage in Genesis 9, it's the animals that were in fear and trembling. Yeah. Um, and so in this one, it would be It'd us be... that are in fear and trembling. Yeah, so that, that's, that's what I'm saying. So, okay. Um, so what are, what around me am I in fear of? Got it. I see. So you know, Interesting. If I, yeah, that's excellent. Yeah. Okay. So um, so now let's let's move a little bit into your question about what do we mean by uh, by salvation. So in the apostolic polyglot, the word there that is used. In fact, I believe if you look at that text right now, if it's still out for you, George, uh, and read what the Apostolic Polyglot says there. Uh, okay, it says, so this is Philippians 2.12. So that my beloved, as at all times you obeyed, not as at my arrival only, but now much rather in my absence, with fear and trembling, your own deliverance work out. So it uses the word deliverance. And for most of us, that's not a problem to substitute the word deliverance. But here's where it starts to get really interesting for me. The first place in the text that that Greek word that is translated there as deliverance, uh, soterios, is used is in Genesis 26, 31. So if you would... Look up, not in the polyglot, but look up on the NIV or whatever version you used a few moments ago, this verse, and read for me Genesis 26, 31. And now we have to understand, I want the listeners to understand that our Hebrew Bible is translated from the Masoretic text, which is a Hebrew uh, translation. So we translate from the Hebrew into English. And because of that, we're going to pick up on the Hebrew words in the text. Um, the Septuagint translates from the Hebrew to Greek. And then if we have an English translation of the Septuagint, it is then to English. So it goes Hebrew, Greek, English, whereas uh, what George is about to read goes straight from Hebrew 
to English. So go ahead and read that verse. And I realize this verse is going to be taken a little bit out of context, but it's about Isaac building the wells. And I think we talked about that or referenced that yeah. a few weeks ago in our Torah portion study. So go ahead. All right. Uh, this is the NIV again. Early the next morning, the men swore an oath uh, to each other. Then Isaac sent them on their way and they went away peacefully. All right. So now what do you imagine if the word is deliverance, which word in there do you think is the word for deliverance or salvation? Um, great question. Now, I was going to try and pull it up in the polyglot, but I'm not going to do that. Um, okay, so oath for deliverance. Uh, I wouldn't want you to do that. That would that would be uh, looking at the answer sheet. Yeah, I know. Um, <clears throat> okay, really, next point. Um, so I deliverance. Was, yeah, um, just trying to think. Probably. Peacefully? It is. Nailed so it. when I asked this to a group of people before, a lot of people said thought it was take away or brought away or taken out in uh, that they left because that would be delivering to leave. But it's the word peacefully, which is actually the Hebrew word. What? I don't know. Oh, shalom. shalom. Yeah. Yeah. And so the very first time that the word that becomes synonymous with deliverance or salvation is used in the polyglot. The sages from preceding Jesus translated the word shalom into this word that later became the word for uh, salvation. So think about this. What if, what if this was the word peace was or shalom was a better translation? So working out your shalom in fear and trembling. So now again, it becomes almost kind of a strange uh, kind of dichotomous sentence, right? How do you work out your peace in fear and trembling, right? So yeah. what do you think about that so far? Because we're going to go another step yet. So uh, just know that. No, okay. No, I think that um, it should cause somebody pause. Um, I mean, it, 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 yeah, it changes the, it changes the context in which one would originally think about the question. So how do you think you would work out your shalom in fear and trembling? Well, um, that's, oh man, I don't know. Probably. Where is, I mean, this is superficial, but like, where's the angst in my life? Like, where okay. is, where is the, the conflict? Where is the, um, yeah, where, where's the conflict? Excellent. Okay. So now a couple, another piece that we're going to add on this in that passage in Philippians two, the word your Singular or plural? Plural. Yeah. So you, plural, work out your plural salvation in fear and trembling. Mm -hmm. 
So this, again, is a place where Western Christianity, particularly in our obsession with individualism and our obsession with making everything personal, personal savior, personal faith, whatever it might be, we forget the corporateness. So now imagine that Paul's command is a corporate command that you, y'all, right? Y'all work out your shalom in fear and trembling. Okay. So now this is the beginning picture that we're, we're creating here. Now, the Greek word soterios that is in that Philippians 2 passage, when it is brought here, now, I'm going to read from a Septuagint translation. Okay. And the reason I'm going to do that and not have you read from the polyglot is because I want to show that a different translation of the Septuagint from the polyglot reads exactly the same way as the polyglot. So, so I want to demonstrate that this is not a one-off. Okay. So I'm going to read that Genesis uh, 29, uh, 26 passage, 2631. All right. And this is the a new English translation of the Septuagint. And it says, and when they had risen in the morning, they swore an oath, one person to the next, and Isaac sent them off and they departed from him in safety. Now that is the exact way uh, well, at least the word for deliverance or salvation is translated as safety in the polyglot. Yes. Yeah. So salvation is this idea of corporate safety. And the way that you work out corporate safety has to be in fear and trembling. Why do you think that's the case? Well, I mean, it becomes a lot harder when you involve more people. Okay. So, I mean, uh, what was the question again? Why would or how does it become necessary for there to be, it be done in fear and trembling to work out a community's safety? Okay. So, um, not only because your actions affect other people. Okay. But their actions affect you as well. Good. So if you are going to have to work out this corporate sense of safety or rescue or deliverance, everybody needs to be on board. To do that is going to cause a lot of really tough and hard conversations. Okay. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm, I, I'm just <laughs> sitting here thinking about church meetings that I've been in where fear and trembling is the perfect description. Yeah. So now let's add another layer on there. And the community that Paul's talking about is probably in danger for converting is probably in some level of danger of identifying itself within this community or this faith that they are amongst the oppressed at this time. So then how does that begin to play out in this picture of safety and fear and trembling? 
Well, it's easier to navigate through hard times or issues when you hold all the power. But okay. when you have to work within an unjust system that's set against you from the start, there are actual risks that you have to take. Right. So uh, like an example that I think of off the top of my head would be that in the same way uh, during the civil rights movement, the folks who were trying to bring safety to the African-Americans in our country, they put their life at risk uh, and many died, MLK being one, right? Yeah, MLK. Um, Malcolm X, like, yeah. right. So like they themselves and many unnamed or unknown people, uh, gave up and, you know, you and I've talked before, I believe on the podcast about what is the, what's a, what's the true definition of freedom. And it's this idea of being willing to give up some of your own freedom in order that others might have more. Yeah. That's a true expression of freedom. And I would argue the same thing's true about peace or safety rather, that the willingness to give up some of our own safety in order that others could have more safety is done only in fear and trembling, right? I think about the policeman who runs into a shooting situation. I think about the fireman who runs into the burning building that their role, their job, their goal is to bring safety, but they must set aside their own safety. Now they mitigate it by having proper training and everything like that, but they still are setting aside their own right for safety in order to create an environment of safety for all. This picture is so important, right? And you know, if you talk or you watch any movies or read any articles or see, you know, uh, you know, stories about firemen or rescue workers or anybody like that, military, that they say, of course you should be scared. Like if you're not scared, then you're actually more dangerous, right? That you have to have a certain amount of fear and trembling when you run into these circumstances. Otherwise, you're actually more dangerous. And so what happens when we start to think about this idea that that working out our salvation is the idea of us pursuing safety for all at the risk of our own safety in order to ensure others have access to this shalom, this safety, this deliverance, this salvation. I think that that's something that you can find proof of in the Gospels, and it's been in front of our face the entire time. We've just been ignoring it. How can you have somebody like John the Baptist announcing that the kingdom of heaven is at hand? Uh, Jesus saying parables, like he spends his entire time talking about or teaching parables about what it's like to participate in the kingdom of heaven. Um, and we're so worried about the age to come. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think about our church at dust. We have strived. In fact, uh, when we first started in Blacksburg, Virginia, our entire leadership team went through a, uh, training on becoming a safe space and safe space training is, is predominantly 
uh, in use for or uh, is designed for creating spaces that are safe for the LGBTQIA community. And so we went through that. And in going through that and in developing our community, our church as a safe place, we lost a lot of relationships. Um, our church was thrown out of our denomination. I was stripped of my credentials. Um, all of this because we wanted to be safe for people. And we had to do this and know that we were taking a risk, that there was things at stake, our own safety, the leader's own safety, the, the team's own safety was at risk, our reputations, our community standing was at risk. Now, I think personally, in 2019, this should not be a discussion about safety. Unfortunately, it is. And too many of my friends in the queer community have experienced the real dangers of being queer within the world, uh, and even maybe more so within the church. And so salvation in this picture of creating and cultivating a space of safety, it is absolutely, it absolutely hinges on everyone being at risk in order to ensure the safety of the people present. This is powerful. Like imagine like to me that picture of salvation that if the church, if the faithful in the world were pursuing instead of fire insurance, were instead pursuing safety for all people, right? that we were we were willing to risk our own safety to ensure the deliverance of those who are not currently safe to ensure the rescue of those who are not currently safe to ensure the peace the shalom of those who are not currently safe that immediately begins to transform the world all right, you're laughing. What are you I, laughing? I, I am. No, you just kept saying uh, immediately, and all I just kept thinking was, "Is Mark Scott?" Mark. Yeah. That's Mark. It. Yeah. yeah. I was. I was going on my Mark diatribe, and immediately, yeah. and immediately, immediately, and immediately. Yeah. No, I mean you're absolutely right. When we strip away the physicality of of the gospel, um, and when so when I say the gospel, what I mean by that is, um this idea that we are to protect those that go without. Mm. Uh, it's not just, it's, it's not saying a prayer. It's, it's this idea. It, it, it's based in complete physicality. It's this idea that I recognize that there is something in this Middle Eastern man born 2000 years ago that I want to imitate with my life and spend it making sure that those that don't have do not go without right. providing justice to the poor. Um, creating a safe space. Like that's why when you said that you wanted to talk about salvation, you and I have talked about that for years, what that means. And um, you know, there's this physicality to it. And then there's also this morality to it. Sure. And it's not just this far away thing. The Israelites, when they were rescued from Egypt received salvation. Correct. They were, they were made safe. 
yeah. from Pharaoh and the oppression that they experienced. Absolutely. And Moses put himself at risk. That's why he's the savior. He's the bringer of salvation. Yeah. Um, so when, when we, you know, revisit the urgency or the immediate, the immediate, the immediateness of what salvation is like, that's when you can go through and read Paul and just be like, no, this guy actually knew his shit instead of making it about some focusing only on the morality of what fits today. Correct. And it also begins to help shape like Jesus set aside his own safety to create a movement of people that would work hard to, to solidify this group of people that would work hard to fight for the safety, even unto death, right? Like the idea of a martyr is a person who is willing to die in order to bring people to safety, right? When we make this that people are willing to die in order to get converts, that's missing the point. This is why Jesus says, you know, to the Pharisee, you go across the sea to make a single convert just to turn them into twice the sons of hell as you, right? Yeah. Because a convert isn't the same thing as someone who has experienced salvation, deliverance, or safety, right? You can have a convert who doesn't experience safety. I meet them all the time. There are people that are, don't feel safe. They've never experienced safety in the church. They've never experienced safety at the hands of Christians. In fact, they've experienced the opposite. And they might have converted. They might declare that Jesus is Lord. They might believe in God. But we have withheld salvation from them. We have withheld peace. We have withheld safety. And the church is being devastated by this. Just watch the infighting as people are arguing for the safety of people that have for so long been excluded. And people are like, I don't know. I don't know. That's really uncomfortable. We shouldn't allow them to have safety here. Or we'll allow safety to a point. Like, yeah, it's I'm not fine. even sure that there is, there's either safety or there is, it's like no, being I, somewhat pregnant. No, I know. I, but I'm, I'm saying that to illustrate a bigger uh, right. issue. Like, we're not just talking about the, the people that say, hey, all are welcome to the table. You know, you can find a safe space in here. Well, it's not really safe. It's a bait and switch. You're right. offering me safety. But if I pay. Yeah, if I pay. Tithing. Well, not <laughs> even that, but just like it, there's, <laughs> I don't know if there's a form of second class safety uh, because you're not welcome to all spots. Well, you just aren't first to get on the, the life raft. Oh, yeah. Right. Like you're safe, but just so you know, when the boat starts to sink, um, you're going to be amongst a group because we actually don't have enough lifeboats on here. So, uh, so sorry for serve and we're not going (laughs) to tell you where the lifeboats are. Um, but I do think this is a really important conversation as we're talking about, you know, in our culture, all the, the anger and angst around you know, suspicion of immigrants, like uh, suspicion of 
you know, just people of a foreign nationality, suspicion of different race and gender and gender queerness and uh, the LGBTQ community, all of those things that we, and I'm saying we, because I hate the true Scotsman fallacy of like, you know, some Christians or those Christians. Yeah. But we as the church have not extended an olive branch of safety to this is this is devastating the church has forgotten what salvation is we have forgotten that salvation is the granting of peace and safety to people and that we need to be willing to risk our safety to do it yeah for me for me this makes so much more healthy sense of what it means like and i think when we do altar calls we should be asking people to come to the altar to leave their safety there in order like are you ready to leave your safety at the altar in order to run into the burning building in order to run into the live shooter or to run into the sinking boat right whatever it might be like are you ready to do that like that's what the altar call should be yeah i mean if you can't if you cannot be safe in the church then there is rightfully so there's no there's there's nowhere else where you should feel safe at because I, that is what from from the beginning what we have tried to do as christians i'm with you like the true scotsman argument is just so absurd when it comes into there i'm moved out of the evangelical circles a while ago, like the mainstream ones, but I still consider myself an evangelical because I'm an American Christian. Yeah. So no, I'm, yeah, I, I think that you, you hit the nail on the head with that one. So then George, what do you think when we, when now when we speak about salvation and we think about uh, work out the, your safety in fear and trembling <laughs> well like what is that call i well i think the first thing that you need to uh take a step back and ask yourself is are all peoples welcome in every capacity at my church and if they're not you need to go find somewhere else to worship at well let me push back on that slightly because well, one unsafe person in the church can make the whole church unsafe. And so you want, uh, you know, I hope that a, a police officer running into an active shooting situation doesn't, uh, you know, as he's trying to get all of the people out safe, doesn't also try to include the shooter in the same way. No, I, I, Don, I understand that. What I was going to finish off with saying is, you know, these are conversations that we need to be having within the leadership. So what I'm saying is if the leadership pushes back, if there is no way that you can amend uh, for all peoples to feel safe, then it might be time to reevaluate where you're at. Yeah. Or at least begin to insist upon better conversations. Yeah. Because I think part of our struggle today is 
so many people have just abandoned the church as being not savable, unsalvageable. Um, and I would love for us to redeem that. No, I would too. I, I, I wouldn't ever want anyone to stay in a space that's unsafe for them. Uh, and I've watched people do that to great harm to themselves. Um, but I've also watched a lot of people uh, grab the first lifeboat they could and get off, uh, get off the boat and uh, not actually worry about anyone else going down with that sinking boat either. And so it's a really hard balance in our churches to figure that, that process and what the healthy response is to that. Yeah, but this is where allyship comes in so important. Like if, if, if we're not having, if we're not leading the conversations within the areas where people are not welcome and leading is probably the wrong word, but at least insisting that they happen. Yeah. And oh, it's I agree. like going up against a brick wall then as an ally, as somebody who's trying to make salvation acceptable to all peoples, you need to evaluate where you're at. And if this is still a good place to, to go. Yep. Like, look, I'm, I'm all in favor of, of saving the Western church. You and I have talked about this for a long time, but there comes a point where you have to stop, you know, you have to draw a line in the sand and say, this place is no longer safe, or maybe it hasn't been from the get go. And I need to figure out what, you know, what to do next. Sure. Where as an ally or where as somebody who's trying to, make salvation acceptable for all peoples where my best yeah where am i best at yep and it's it's that awkward and painful dance <laughs> yeah of figuring out when that moment is and where that moment is and you know trying to make sure that people aren't left behind not to go all tim LaHaye, uh <laughs> that people aren't left behind in an unsafe situation without any allyship there. And, you know, that's, that's the part that's hard for me. I know the denomination that our church was kicked out of. Yeah. I have lots of friends and colleagues and peers who are still there because there are so many people that are unsafe within that denomination that they are willing to stay in there and put their own safety at risk to continue to fight for their safety. And, you know, I often wonder if, if they didn't make the decision for me, how much longer I would have stayed. Right. Well, and that's kind of what I'm getting at is, you know, be a dissenting voice where you're at, if it means that you're fighting for equality, but there, unfortunately for some people, you can only do that for so long. Agreed. And that's not a timer for anyone. Absolutely. Like that's everyone's timer is different on that. Yeah. Especially if you're the person that is unsafe. Uh, you know, you need to do what you need to do for your own well-being. And no one should dictate for you how long is the right amount of time. Absolutely. Well, well thanks, I, George, for this conversation. Oh, it was my pleasure. Thanks for uh, switching it up. And if you listeners have any suggestions for any other topic or topics of conversation let us know because we're gonna be switching it up we're gonna maybe taking a little pause from the tour study for a little bit and uh, if we bring it back we'll uh we'll spend some time talking about what that looks like um, but make sure you check us out on facebook twitter instagram 
at Evangel Bros. And we're on uh, email, evangelbros at gmail.com. And we're on Patreon at Patreon slash Evangel Bros. I've been your co-host, George. I've been your other co-host, Don. Have a great week, everyone. Bye.